4: Attention, Bechtelcast <gasps> listeners, <gasps> it's me, Caitlin, and...
2: And me, Jamie. And guess what? <gasps> what? Wait, should we say it together? One, two, three. We're, we're going, going on, on tour. tour. That'll sink in the <laughs> ad eventually. <laughs> Imagine that, but with more enthusiasm, because we're very excited. <laughs> we haven't gone on so tour excited. in three human years. That's
4: 21 Mm -hmm. dog years.
2: (laughs) Wow. That's so true. I (laughs) I am really good at math.
4: So, (laughs) And put a pin in dog, because that's going to come back in a few seconds. But for now, we're going to just tell you some preliminary facts about the tour. Yeah, It's on the West Coast of the United States. So we're going... Sorry,
2: everyone else.
4: So we're starting in Los Angeles. Ever heard of it? With a show on January 26th at the Elysian Theater. The movie, Get Ready. And that's where the dog comes back in, because it's... And it is
2: a dog coming of age movie. It is... A Goofy goofy Movie. movie. We've been getting requests from this since the beginning and it's finally time to cover a Goofy Movie, Mm -hmm. We Can't Wait, Uh, a coming of age dog movie, can you believe it? Can you believe it? Then we are going to be scooting uh, scooting on up, on foot I believe, Caitlin and I will be hiking. (laughs) Yes. All, that's why there's a bit of a gap all the way to San Francisco uh-huh. for San Francisco Sketch Festival. We've done it before. If you've been before, come out again. That's on February 1st. And where is that, Caitlin?
4: That's at the Gateway Theater in San Francisco. And we are covering George oh, of the banner. Jungle. Sorry, sorry, sorry. George, George, George of the Jungle. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh <laughs> And then guess what? We are continuing to scoot on up to on Portland, foot. Oregon. We will be at Curious Comedy Theater, another theater we love. We're doing two shows in Portland. The first is with the wonderful Sarah Marshall of You're Wrong About and You Are Good. We're
4: going to be covering mm. The Goonies. Yes. And then at 9 p.m., Caitlin, what? tell me more. <laughs> okay. 9 p- also, this is on February 2nd. Oh, shit. Did I not say that? Groundhog Day. But don't think about the movie Groundhog Day because that has nothing to do with our tour. We covered that. We did it already. Sorry, bitch. (laughs) Six years ago. Okay. So first show is at 7 p.m. with Sarah Marshall, The Goonies. Second show is at 9 p.m. It is a surprise mystery guest and a surprise mystery movie. Hello? (gasps) It's going to be a banger. I'm very excited.
2: Come to one. Come to both. Come to both. None of my business because it'll be be different different
4: different shows and then finally we are scooting on up continuing our journey on foot (laughs) to seattle (laughs) and on february 5th we're doing a show at laughs comedy club and we are covering the The goonies again because guess what it's hard work to do a tour and it's a lot to do a bunch of different movies so well if yeah it's we're doing pacific
2: northwest classics uh, yeah and so if you're in seattle come on up for for the goonies in seattle and yeah we're really excited to go we're really excited to see everybody again um we will have merch for you we sell exclusive posters
4: and mm-hmm. and stuff like that designed by jamie the one and only designed
2: by mrs jamie herself <laughs> Yeah, we can't wait to see you and hang out. And uh, it's been 84 years since. It's been 84
4: years. It really makes you think. So what you're going to do is go to our link tree, Uh which is, it's always so weird to say the link of link tree because it's Mm -hmm. L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash cast, And that's where each of the ticket links will be to buy tickets for our shows.
2: We love you so much. We're really excited. Uh, Get your tickets now because they are actually genuinely going fast. Usually when I say that I'm lying, but this time I'm really not.
4: This time it's true. And uh, yeah, brag. Our tickets are moving fast. So you're gonna want to grab them soon.
2: All right. And uh, we'll see you there, West Coast. See you there. On the Bechdel cast, the question's asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effin' vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast.
4: Knock, knock. Uh, Hello?
2: Hi, it's me, your son, Jamie.
4: (laughs) Oh, um, what? I don't have any children. I'm Tim Allen and I'm mad. Yeah, your TV and films, Tim, Tim Allen. I'm your son. Okay. Well, I, what do you want? This is going well. <laughs> there, I You know,
2: what I want is maybe narratively unclear. So I think a relationship with you. I'm not really quite sure. It's going to change several times over the next 75 minutes, but we'll sort of land on it has something to do with your feelings from Vietnam. Uh, we'll figure mm-hmm. it out. <laughs> I think I want a relationship with you, even though you're horrible. And also I want yeah. uh, a, a nice little son. I want a nice little son of my own. Cool. Welcome to the Bechtel cast. <laughs> I think
4: that went extraordinarily well. My name is Jamie Loftus. My name is Caitlin Durante, and this is our show where we examine movies through an intersectional feminist lens using the Bechtel test simply as a jumping off point. What is the Bechtel test, though, Jamie, my son? Well, I guess it
2: what we just did technically didn't... I don't... Actually, it's complicated. Actually, you identified as Tim Allen, so it doesn't pass. Okay. We use it as a jumping-off point for discussion, not the be-all and end-all of anything, including this show, but the the version that we use requires that uh, two people of a marginalized gender with names speak to each other about something other than a man for more than two lines of dialogue, and it should be narratively impactful. Ideally. This movie... This movie is a head scratcher, <laughs> in in uh, more ways than one. Are there women talking? Yes. What's going on? I'm never clear. We're not sure. Horny mom and when <laughs> horny mom and I was like, that's her mom. There, I thought they were roommates. That's her mom. That's her yeah. mom. I I do love a good horny mom character. Call me, sure. you know, throw me in a garbage can. But a, a good old-fashioned horny mom, I'm laughing. I support it. But not at this one, because this movie is horrible. Uh, we have an amazing guest to talk about this incredible
4: piece of cinema. Yes, a returning guest from the episode on, what is that movie even called? Oh, Den, Den of Thieves?
2: Yes, starring the Phantom of the Opera himself. <laughs>
4: Yes. Uh, She's a reporter and writer of the investigative series entitled A Tradition of Violence, the History of Deputy Gangs in the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, which was published in Knock LA. She's also the host of the podcast, also called A Tradition of Violence. It's Cerise Castle. Welcome back. Welcome back. Hey, thanks so much for having me. And thanks so
0: much for uh, indulging in copaganda. (laughs) (laughs)
2: there's truly no one we would rather talk to uh, on this specific cursed subject
4: (laughs) absolutely so the movie we're covering today is called el camino christmas from 2017 but before we get into the discussion of that cerise we just wanted to talk to you about your investigative work, your podcast.
2: Yeah, specifically about like adapting this um, amazing series you wrote for Nock into podcast format. So for people who haven't started listening to A Tradition of Violence, uh, set us up. What's the show about?
0: Yeah, um, so the show is about these secret criminal gangs that are operating inside of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. I've been investigating these deputy gangs for the past two years, and I have uncovered 20 different criminal gangs inside of the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. Mm. They're at different locations throughout Los Angeles County, um, sometimes even operating at multiple locations, one single gang. Mm. They have killed at least 19 people. The figures are probably a lot higher than that. Mm -hmm. But it's incredibly difficult to hunt down a lot of this information because of um, laws surrounding disclosures around police information. Mm -hmm. Um, But we do know they've killed at least 19 people. Um, All of those people were people of color. Seven of them were in the midst of a mental health crisis. And the podcast is digging into who exactly these deputy
2: gangs are, where they come from, and why it is they do what they do. Mm -hmm. it's like it's truly like the original series at knock is so incredible as well and has had um for listeners who don't live in the LA area or aren't aware of it has had such a huge impact on LA and I think like across the the country and beyond of just your incredible work uncovering this and opening people's eyes to what is going on publicly funded right in front of them mm-hmm. so for the podcast um i guess how do, how did you go about expanding on that work and like what were your kind of goals in or, or like because it was coming out over a year later what has it been like kind of bringing this work to this format
0: It's been a lot of fun. It's been really great being able to put a lot of these stories in audio form and having people be able to hear directly from the people that have been impacted by this deputy gang violence. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff that I've uncovered in the year and a half since publishing the series that are also included in this podcast. For example, um, when I wrote the initial series, I only knew about 18 deputy gangs. Uh, But since then Mm -hmm. I've been able to uncover two more um, with the help of some really great um, sources that I've been able to develop. And the really unfortunate part is that I have been able to connect a lot more acts of deputy violence to these gangs, Mm -hmm. which is really awful. Mm -hmm. And tragic to see play out in data. But at the same time, it also Mm. confirms for a lot of people that have been talking about this for generations, Mm. things that they've been saying and no one has really been paying attention to. There are a lot of things Mm. like that that have been confirmed by research. I was reading yesterday a lot about weathering, which is a phenomenon that happens to Black Americans as a result of stress. It's these tiny little lesions that you get on the brain. And that's just because of having to deal with racism uh, constantly. Mm. And it means that you are a lot more susceptible to disease. You're a lot more likely to die prematurely. You're more susceptible to things like Alzheimer's, that kind of thing. and it's really unfortunate. And it's so important, I think, like, it's really horrible to like know something like that. Um, But, mm-hmm. you know, how many people have told you like, wow, like dealing with this stuff is really getting to me. It's really having an effect on my health. And I think it's so important to mm-hmm. have things that you can
2: point to to say, yes, this is true. This has been confirmed by research. Mm-hmm. God, that is fascinating and so upsetting and that I, I- I'd never heard of that term before. Caitlin, had you heard about it? No, I wasn't familiar. Mm -mm. That I'm, I'm always like, yeah, always really fascinated and about how willing people are to dismiss how the pressure and like constant anxiety of um, racism has absolutely no effect on your body. Like it's just completely absurd. Mm -hmm. So what, what can, we're, we're going to be um, directing our listeners to the podcast. Is there, um, aside from just starting at the beginning, is there anything in particular that you're like, you know happy to have out there on on this run um, that listeners can kind of jump over to?
0: What I'm really excited about in this podcast and something that I didn't have a lot of in my initial series. Um, Which is kind of surprising um, that this happened, and I'm really grateful for it, is the voices of police officers. A lot of the skeptics that I get Mm -hmm. are like, well, you know, of course, the families of people that have been, you know, murdered by police officers, of course, they would say these things. But it's been really exciting for me to get so many um, deputies and people ranking higher than deputy Mm -hmm. to sit down with me and say, yeah, this is true. I want to tell you about my experiences with these deputy gangs. I want to tell you about the time I was invited to join a deputy gang. I want to tell you about the time that I saw a deputy gang member commit a murder, cover up a crime, Mm -hmm. threaten me, threaten me with death. And it's it's been it's so powerful to hear those stories and get that confirmation from the inside, because you really can't talk about this without having someone on the inside to really explain it because it is so insular and so secretive. Mm -hmm. And it's also really great um, to be able to throw that back at the haters and say, you know what, like, actually, a lot of cops really support the work that I'm doing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of cops think the department should be completely scrapped as
2: well god I it's it truly is like I mean your the original series is incredible but getting to like hear you know like you've you've built it out in such like a beautiful way that just yeah hearing some of the audio that you've collected both in interviews and just like sourced from other places in this series is like it just brings a whole new dimension to how fucking infuriating and deeply illegal everything going on is it's one thing to read it and another thing to hear it mm-hmm.
4: um and we on the Bechtelcast cast famously don't read so an audio medium <laughs> is really helpful for us
2: i can't lie yeah the original series i did have to have my computer read it to me mm-hmm. uh, it was <laughs> like a tradition of violence um, <laughs> but uh <laughs> and then that for like a couple hours but i think i took it in yeah. i gotta try that <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a really maddening experience. <laughs> It's mm. to hear your own words read with no emotion back out to you um <laughs> it's interesting try you should try <laughs> so you know everyone we're going to be linking to a tradition of violence the podcast in the original series on knock la in the description but um and thank you for for talking to us about it cerise yeah um and for the rest of this episode We're going to have some fun with some of the weirdest (laughs) propaganda these eyes have ever seen. Yes. El Camino Christmas. Was this a Netflix original? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. It feels like that. (laughs) Um, Okay. So El Camino Christmas, it is a 2017 movie directed by David E. Talbert, who seems to only direct Netflix (laughs) Christmas Christmas movies, movies. Yes correct. So I was like, okay, so he's not a cop guy, he's a Christmas guy. Mm-hmm. Didn't expect that. He's also directed Almost Christmas and Jingle Jangle: A Christmas Journey. So mm. he's a he's a bit of a Christmas lad. Yeah. <laughs> it's written by oh, I mean, shocking that people put their names on this. Someone <laughs> named Christopher Christopher Wayner, and then also Theodore Melfi who mm-hmm. had previously written and directed Hidden Figures. I'm like How do we get from A to B here? Uh, Uh, Unsure. And it's starring, uh, I mean, kind of of only all all hitters. Uh, Someone named Luke Grimes. Does anyone know who that was? I didn't know who that was. Sure did not. Vincent D'Onofrio, Dax Shepard of podcast fame. Mm -hmm. His
0: wife famously loves the sheriff's department. Just want to put that out there. (laughs) Yes. Wait, can you give us quick context for our listeners? Yes. Quick context on Dak Shepard. Um, so last Christmas, I believe this was actually around the holidays, um, his wife. His wife. Who, I'm sorry. Who played, I can't remember her name. Is it Kristen? Kristen Bell. Kristen Bell. I almost said Kristen Smart. That is mm. not his wife. <laughs> <laughs> Kristen Bell. His wife, Kristen Bell. Took it upon herself to go visit deputies at the Lancaster Sheriff Station, why? And post about it on social media how much she loves and supports the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Ew. So Kristen Bell, also known as Veronica Mars, huge supporter mm-hmm. of corrupt law enforcement departments.
2: Ooh, how absolutely fucking vile of her! I, I, I forgot about that. But it's like I feel like she's very emblematic of like. She's like, I'm a liberal. I'm with her, but also the sheriff's department but gets also, me horny. I, like, I'm with him.
0: I'm for... with Villanueva.
2: <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and they do not see any uh, gap in this logic. I for I didn't make the the Dax connection. <sighs> so we've got Dax. We've got the dad from that 70s show. Yes. And we've got Jessica Alba. We've got Jimmy O Yang. Yeah. And of course we have. Mr. This, Mr. The Karl Santa- Marx Communist <laughs> Manifesto Wikipedia himself, Tim Allen.
4: A.K.A. Scott Calvin. I A.K.A. Thought- Santa Claus. A.K.A. Tim Allen. Tim Allen is like a known like
2: right wing fucking weirdo. Yeah. Yes. But yes. So I wasn't <laughs> shocked that he was in this movie, but I was also <laughs> like, Tim, you're Christmas canon. Why? Like, must you mm. smear <laughs> the only thing about you that I liked, which was... Santa Claus One. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, El Camino Christmas. There's also a oh woman in this another. Allegedly.
0: Can I say another fun fact about Tim Allen? Please, please, yes. Did you know that Tim Allen is a federal informant and he <gasps> was convicted mm-hmm. for cocaine trafficking, and he was able to get out of it and start a Hollywood career because he cooperated with the feds and turned on everyone oh. and.
4: -hmm. That's why he's a
0: movie star. What? Yeah. So lots of ties to law enforcement with this
2: cast, I must say. Oops. The Tim Allen cocaine (laughs) saga like never ceases to amaze me of like how and also how like publicly available that information always was. That wasn't like something that came out later in his career. I think he like talked about it in his stand up at one point. Like huh. he was famously a police informant, and everyone was like, "Let's put him in a children's movie. <laughs> let's do that." Oh, and then let's put him in another because he's and then
4: a third buzz. Oh, later. Buzz Lightyear, yeah, and then Home Improvement. Oh my God, he's
2: a well, piece of shit. And and bizarrely, on the Bechtel cast this holiday season, we are covering two Tim Allen joints because Grace <laughs> Freud is returning to cover the the Santa Claus miniseries so yes and then no more Tim no more Tim this is <laughs> I'm putting my foot down I've, I've had enough of this Tim Allen character who's someone who's been
4: famously bad his entire career yeah uh so, so Cerise what is your relationship with this movie El Camino Christmas
0: uh yeah I really Didn't have much of one before coming on this cast. I picked this movie because I really wanted to talk about um, a law enforcement film because, Mm -hmm. you know, sitting and having these intersectional conversations about police representation in our media is really important, especially with two people such
2: as yourselves. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thanks for, (laughs) and this is like this movie in particular is like such an all over. this movie feels like it was written by a hundred different people all of whom had different political views like (laughs) it's so confusing
4: yeah with all due respect this is one of the worst movies i've ever seen not i can't wait to
2: not even just like story content and politics wise but also just like looks like shit (sighs) sounds like shit it sounds the music is playing louder than the people almost (laughs) the whole movie it's so frustrating. Did to you hear. really want to hear what they were saying, though, Jamie? <laughs>
4: That's a good point.
2: Maybe it was a vengeful editor that was like, oh, I don't
4: need it. Turn turned a drown out. This horrible dialogue. Yeah, I had never heard of this movie until you suggested Same. it for this episode. And um, I mean, I'm glad I've seen it now just because I enjoy hate watching things from time to time. So. This allowed me to indulge in that there's so much to. you would love my recommended
0: list on netflix
2: (laughs) (laughs) is it all like cursed
4: copaganda
2: yes (laughs) Um,
4: um shall we shall we get into it shall i do the recap yeah best of luck yeah right actually let's take i'll i'm gonna need to take a quick break first and then i'll gather my thoughts and we will come right back It's
1: just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson.
5: Rated R. Under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters, May 17th. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect.
4: A violent shootout. We see members of the sheriff's department. We see Vicente's liquor store. But we don't really know what the situation is yet. Mm -hmm. We cut to 39 hours earlier. It's a few days before Christmas. We are in El Camino, Nevada, which is not a real place, I discovered upon some research. I got so confused. (laughs) Well, because I assumed that this was taking place in California for some reason. And then but no and then it turns out it's Nevada (laughs) I figured that out a half hour into the movie it took me a while yeah so oh my god I'm really down to my last four brain cells so this was a challenge (laughs) so we're in the small town of El Camino Nevada we are at the sheriff's department precinct Sheriff Bob played by Kirkwood Smith is yelling at Deputy Carl Hooker played by Vincent D'Onofrio for being bad at his job Carl is an alcoholic who is drinking and or drunk in pretty much every scene we will see him in. Meanwhile, this guy Eric Norris, played by Luke Grimes, has arrived in El Camino, and he goes to a motel for a room. Behind the front desk is Bill... is Bill. (laughs) aka <laughs> Bill. <laughs> I was like, what is his last name? I don't know. I don't care. But that's... Is... <laughs> I like that you're like, you know what? No, no we're just never gonna... mind. Uh, that's not worth it. That's Dax Shepherd's character, who we also saw mm-hmm. in the first scene as a sheriff's deputy. So he works as a hotel clerk and a cop. Which tracks? I mean, a lot of cops I know have these weird little side gigs that they do. Interesting. I did not know that. what are what would
2: be like an example of a of a classic cop side gig classic side gig
0: of course is private security or private investigations Mm, um also um bodyguards security services but then you get the Mm -hmm. cops that are like real estate agents or nutritionists or (gasps) trainers
2: even though that was allowed
0: to be (laughs) alex Villanueva actually owns a crossfit gym oh gross
2: it's
4: too on the nose Yeah, predictable. (laughs) Um, Okay, so then we cut to Kate, played by Michelle Milet and her young son, Seth. They cross paths with Eric at a diner. We also meet a news reporter named Beth Flowers, played by Jessica Alba, who is heavily gregnant.
2: Gregnant? She's heavy with Greg and (laughs) she's... Wait, was that intentional? (laughs) Oh yes, uh
0: oh, pregnant. Okay. Yeah, Every
4: pre- any person who is pregnant is actually pregnant. I see. According to Excuse me. To yes. Excuse my ignorance. Yes. It's quite old. They're right. expecting a Greg <laughs> any second now. Yeah,
2: she's about to explode
4: oh. with with little Greg. Yes. We also meet a camera operator played by Jimmy O Yang. I don't think we ever learn his character's name. I don't know if he had
2: one. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, he was he was there to quip. Mm-hmm. I look. I'm very pro Jimmy O Yang um, getting money. Sure, same. Which I hope is the only reason he did this because the <sighs> yeah. movie is just so god awful.
4: Um, it's trash.
2: Yeah, they're like local reporters that I think. Okay, this was one of my favorite bad elements of the movie where the local the local reporters are like resentful that they've been given a fluff piece and she describes it as like oh like a local like she specifies that they're handicapped for no
4: reason and she emphasizes that word in a way that feels extremely ableist yes
2: yeah you're like the subtext to this line is very gross and also confusing but she's like oh it's like a local person's passion project which is later revealed to be a really straightforward nativity play i'm like whose passion project was this (laughs) do they know that this story exists already like the church of christ (laughs) i was expecting like you know like glengarry glenn ross or some shit but they're like no it's just a nativity play and that's their passion project (laughs) the writing in this movie is so funny um okay horrendous
4: yeah (laughs) okay so meanwhile deputies bill and carl are tailing eric this you know newcomer to town they think that he might be involved in meth manufacturing or running because they see him with a jug of drano which is like
2: the first of many funny what is that called when there's a product like product placement moments oh there's so much product placement bud light lemon bud light lemon (laughs) They say the full name every time Vincent D'Onofrio, who's the evil character, is like, get me a Bud Light Lemon. I love that Bud Light Lemon. And then Tim Allen brings it over. He's like, here's that Bud Light Lemon you asked for. And then he sips it and he's like, it's pretty good. There are at
4: least, yeah, like 10 different direct references to different brands of alcohol it's just like it's
2: very funny like but i the the drano got me good because they literally preface the drano spawn by being like this is a main ingredient in meth and then it's like cut to a bottle of drano drano make your meth with it like Only the best methamphetamine.
4: (laughs) No store
2: brand for me. I make my methamphetamine with original branded Drano.
4: So so bad. (laughs) So they're telling Eric. Then Eric goes and knocks on the door of Tim Allen because Eric is looking Uh, for a guy named Michael Roth. Mm -hmm. Eric had found this 15-year-old letter And the return address on the letter is Tim Allen's address.
2: Mm.
4: We don't really know who he's looking for or why, but he's like, I have this letter and this is the return address. But Tim Allen is very hostile. He's possibly drunk because he also is an alcoholic. He says, I'm not your daddy. He says, I'm not not your daddy. Leave me alone. But then he's like, if you buy me a beer, I will tell you about the guy who lived here before me. Mm. So Eric takes tim to a bar but which you shouldn't do in the movie and you shouldn't do with tim allen in real life in real life (laughs) no (laughs) tim allen continues to be a piece of shit at the bar he doesn't tell eric anything so eric storms out Mm -hmm. as eric is returning to his motel deputy bill and carl stop him and arrest him because they find weed that tim allen had left in eric's car and they're also like you have drano so you're making meth (laughs) and and they're like and you don't even know anything about your car so that means you're a criminal and then which again
0: tracks (laughs) like this is very right (laughs) this is great representation of how police huh. actually function in my
2: experience. like mm. up to this point, this is incredibly accurate, I must say. <laughs> I was kind of surprised at the specificity of like a totally like bogus like weed charge as an as an excuse to arrest someone that they just wanted to arrest anyways. And then also how it's like, I mean we'll get into this in the discussion later, but how at the beginning, it's established that, like, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's character is not arresting enough people, mm-hmm. and so his mo- motivation
4: going to is like he just needs to make arrests so he appears productive. Right. Yes. Yes. This was also the thing that tipped me off that they were not in California because I was like, "Oh, weed is not illegal in California." But it's why- legal in Nevada. Is it okay? Was it in 2017? I, I have the answer. Please tell us, Jamie. the re- The reason why this movie feels like it takes place on another planet
2: is not only because it's bad it's because the script was written in 2007 oh this was in development for over 10 years so i think mr hidden figures was really embarrassed that it actually came out at some point (laughs) they developed this for 10 years Uh, humiliating i mean i think you can see that what a labor of love it was (laughs) for everyone involved a
0: passion project perhaps so
2: yeah the passion project that just ends up being a bad nativity play
4: (laughs) (laughs) so uh, okay anyway so so they've arrested eric and they bring him into the whatever like jail cell and deputy carl beats the shit out of eric But the next morning, Deputy Bill, that's, again, Dax Shepard, lets Eric go, but this is something that Carl doesn't know about. Mm -hmm. And Carl spots Eric driving away, so Deputy Carl chases after him. They both end up at Vicente Liquor Mart, where Kate and her son also are, where Tim Allen is, Mm -hmm. and where the owner, Vicente, is. And Carl comes in, guns blazing. And Tim Allen, who is ex-military, and he has a gun on him, he shoots Carl in the leg. And then in this kind of scuffle, Eric ends up with both guns for some reason. I kept forgetting his name was Eric. I
2: just kept writing down his name in my notes as Drano.
4: (laughs) Mr. Drano. I was like, Drano's (laughs) got a crush. Drano needs a
2: dad. Whatever.
4: Drano has two guns now. And it turns into a hostage situation where Eric, a.k.a. Drano, is holding everyone there hostage. Why? And Sheriff Bob and Deputy Bill arrive. Eric tries to escape, but the cops have him surrounded. There's more shooting. Meanwhile, Beth Flowers, a.k.a. Jessica Alba, Figures out that something is going on. So she and Jimmy O. Yang show up on the scene to report about it. Mm -hmm. The shooting kind of calms down and everyone in the store is like, Hey, Eric, why are you holding us hostage? Just turn yourself in. And he's like, "Mm, pass. (laughs) And it takes us, at least it took me a while to understand why he's holding hostages, but I guess it's because he's trying to clear his name from his arrest last night. And he's like, I'm not going to let everyone go until... Series.
2: what was your take on why Drano was holding them hostage? I couldn't... I Yeah.
0: I wasn't even clear if he was really holding them because it oh, seemed to me too. like the hostage situation was sort of like... Carl was really the catalyst for that. He's like, you're holding us all hostage and a couple of times Eric Drano even said like, I'm not holding anyone. You can go. Yeah. But then the cops started shooting. So of course no one would want to leave at that point. Right. So I, I wasn't even really clear if he was like even holding them. And, and Carl was really the one saying like, he's got hostages, he's got hostages and they overpower him and shut him up as a result of that. So like, did the writers even know if, (laughs) <laughs> Eric was motivated to hold these people hostage. I don't know. To me, it really seemed like he ended up with the guns in his hand. The call had gone out, and no one was able to leave at that point. So right,
2: right, and he was viewed as having escaped, I guess, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm.
0: right, that was another. Well, I don't know if we want to get into this in the in the discussion, but like the way he left the jail was not clear. It was not clear. If he had been released, if he was an escapee, Mm -hmm.
4: unclear. I mean, Dax Shepard's like, I'm going to go take a dump. I'm going to leave the door open. I'm going to give your keys. And if you're not back when I get back, well, then shrug. I don't know what happened. Right. But it's like, is he setting him up to be now an escaped convict? Or is he actually being (laughs) like, my partner is a piece of shit and I feel bad for you. So I'm letting you go unclear because right, there's
0: paperwork that needs to happen like if you've booked him as an arrestee you can't just let someone like walk out you need to process them or they're still going to be in the system which presents a whole
4: right i interpret it as Dex shepherd is extremely incompetent as a cop and so he was just like well i'm just gonna let him go and he so he wasn't like setting him up necessarily he was just like well, I'll just let you go. No big deal.
2: It was just a weed charge. I was sort of unclear on that too. Yeah. Cause the dad from that 70s show, like mostly what he's doing is calling Dax Shepard a, a fucking fool all the time where he just like <laughs> every word out of his mouth. He's like Dax Shepard who by the way sucks at everything. Like, so it's like, <laughs> we're definitely supposed to think that. And he does, but also it's like, you don't know how he, but like even, even, uh, fucking fools who don't know anything have feelings. And I'm like, I don't know how he feels about (laughs) anything. It was really so Mm -hmm. confusing. Yeah. Yeah. And also, we didn't touch on this yet, but like Carl, yeah, like Carl incites this event to the point where he like, you know, shoots a gun in the air and then says shots fired to... Right. So he's also like accusing Drano of additional things he didn't do. He's making it sound like Drano uh, was... Shooting when it was Carl who shot, I think, twice before getting into the store.
4: Right. So a semi hostage situation (laughs) unfolds, but it's not because Eric is actually holding anyone hostage. It's because this corrupt cop, Carl, instigates this whole thing and gun violence ensues. Gunshots are fired by Mm -hmm. a bunch of people. And then, so now it's just too hostile of a situation to, like, de-escalate safely kind of thing. Right. So that's what's going on inside the liquor mart. The cops outside, namely Sheriff Bob and Deputy Bill, are trying to figure out who is inside and who is the gunman who took the others hostage, quote-unquote, they do suspect eric is the gunman and they figured out who else is inside the store except that they don't know that tim allen is inside and that will become important later and after a few hours the cops decide to ambush the store to take down the gunman and save the hostages mm-hmm. but right before this happens carl shoots eric with a secret gun that he had the whole time it's a, kind of a plot gun A plot gun that he was hiding in his butt crack, question mark.
2: (laughs) It's so poor. And it's like
4: also knowing
2: anything about like this stage of Vincent D'Onofrio's career. I'm just like, I I feel for him that like he's, oh, it's just, it's just all such a bummer. Mm. And once we're in the, the liquor store, it's like pretty much paid advertising all the way like there's in the background of every impactful (laughs) shot there's like tito's vodka oh my god my favorite scene is um tim allen and his and drano tim allen and drano are talking about vietnam and it's cutting back and forth between a shot of like pop tarts (laughs) and like instant ramen and the labels are so prominent that he's like Mm. you were never there for me pop tarts I couldn't be there for you. Instant ramen, <laughs> like it's really, it's really special. Um, so yeah. Vincent D'Onofrio shoots Drano with a secret plot gun he has in his butt. Yes, exactly.
4: This movie rocks. Eric, <laughs> Eric, Eric shoots Carl back and fatally kills him. That's not how you say that. But the cops hear the gunshots and open fire on the liquor store. Vicente gets shot. Everyone is freaking out. Silent Night is playing on the soundtrack because it's Christmas Eve.
2: You also haven't mentioned the single mom in a while, which is showing how yeah.
4: much the story uh, needs cares or about uses her. her. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. And then Tim Allen starts telling a story about the <laughs> Vietnam War. And Eric is like, he sure does. I already know because I read your letters because you're my daddy. And Tim Allen is like, yes son i should have been there for your mom or something meanwhile jessica alba's pregnancy has reached critical mass and she goes into labor on air as she's reporting honestly i didn't think they would do it i was like okay if a
2: movie is like written and directed by like cis guys if there's a pregnant character that's chekhov's greg and that greg is gonna like rock it out like a t-shirt gun at some point in the movie they can't help themselves you can't let someone leave the movie still pregnant even if it takes place over the course of 37 minutes or whatever the fuck um,
4: she is so pregnant and in labor that dex shepard later hands her a water bottle and then she throws it at someone else and then she says it hurts so bad <laughs> Because that's how being in labor
2: is. God, <laughs> Jessica Alba. And it's like Jessica Alba is like a parent. She knows that this isn't how. Doesn't she have two kids? <laughs> yeah. She knows that this isn't how pregnancy works. I mean, I know it hurts very bad. The way she was acting though, it was, but the way they had her positioned, I thought she had also been shot. And I was like, oh no, wait, she's the pregnant character. So of course she's giving birth.
4: Well, because this movie is, I I think in theory, a comedy Yes. But it took me so long to figure that out because the comedy, tonally, it's just a very, very weird movie. There are attempts at comedy in it, but it rarely lands or makes sense. Or there's just like so much tonal dissonance. It's absurd. I don't know what you're talking about. It made total sense (laughs) to me. A hundred percent, right, right.
2: And I was cracking up there. I did laugh whenever it cut to Pop Tarts. Um, I, I mm. laughed at the parts that you were not supposed to be right laughing at.
4: So, so then the FBI shows up, and <laughs> Kate and her son leave the store, which they probably could have done the whole time. Yes, I think so. No one was ever going to shoot them. Mm-mm. <laughs> so now it's just Eric and his dad, Tim Allen. And Tim Allen decides to take the fall for this. And he acts like he's the gunman who took the hostages in order to save Eric. But not before he makes a
2: weird pass at the second most prominent woman in the movie, which is a cardboard (laughs)
4: cutout of a PBR model. (laughs) good stuff <laughs> incredible writing flawless no notes okay yeah. <laughs> so he goes outside with the cardboard cutout of this sexy lady and then he pulls out both guns so the cops shoot down tim allen and kill him but that's his like redemption thing it's weird. then we flash forward to 182 days later very specific number vicente has lived i feel like that had to change that
2: had to be a script note he was so dead and like extremely dead dead. he's fine and on vacation (laughs) in the the epilogue it is i mean i'm glad his character lived right but that is not how that was shot at all yeah that yeah he was also
0: 32 million dollars richer and he made a comment of if you do the math that's 8 million per bullet which Mm -hmm. is just again that note about comedy and tone i just
4: i'm like i, I didn't even catch is this that supposed line to be that's funny? miserable right god i'm not sure okay so it's a hundred it's six months later but they call it 182 days later we check in with all of the characters such as deputy bill is running for sheriff beth flowers oh. is a reporter in austin texas now kate's mom is dating a weather guy from la and laughing at his horrible joke. Uh, Vicente is still alive and he got this huge settlement out of being shot by the cops. And Eric is hanging out with Kate and her son at a diner the end his daddy
2: died but now he's daddy now he's daddy It's
4: like the santa claus there can only be one daddy it's like the santa claus <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's like the godfather there's a lot of parallels you got
2: to take here. down the first daddy and then you're now you're the and one now daddy. you're
4: the daddy exactly, exactly. I'm the daddy now and then <laughs> the
2: movie's like all right it's over and then it cuts to Bye-bye, like i end. movie credits <laughs> <laughs>
4: And Vincent D'Onofrio singing a terrible rendition of a Christmas song. All right, let's take another quick break and we will come back to discuss. Me.
3: And we're back. Okay, um, so but, uh, we've already like started to get into this,
2: but um, in your professional opinion, what is this? What is going on here? And and how? In your professional opinion. What the fuck? The,
3: the fuck? Uh, respectfully, yeah. And with all due respect,
2: what the fuck is happening in this movie? Is there because it's like you were you were mentioned at a few points. Like that is actually like a pretty realistic thing that a sheriff um, or a member of the sheriff's department may do. How do you feel this movie did in terms of that? In terms of representing how
0: a lot of sheriffs, department officials, a lot of police officials treat their job and relate to people in their profession. I thought it was pretty spot on. Mm -hmm. The constant drinking that Carl is doing on the job, Mm -hmm. his manipulation of active crime scenes, of evidence, Mm -hmm. of beating people in custody that are handcuffed. I've seen all of that before, Mm -hmm. multiple times. The sheriff himself, when he arrives on the scene, this is all taking place at a gas station, and the sheriff is chain-smoking throughout this gas station, Mm -hmm. constantly um he even makes a remark about um that they're going to send in the gas and gas all these people out of the structure um that gas was actually used in Waco Texas when the mm-hmm. Branch Davidians mm-hmm. were in this stan- a very similar standoff and i thought a lot about the branch davidians watching was, this actually
2: yeah, i was <laughs> like who is the Koresh of this yeah <laughs> of this liquor store
0: yeah And when they did that to um, Koresh and his followers, that gas, um, that gas is highly flammable. And we Mm -hmm. saw what happened to those poor souls in Waco, Texas. They were all burned alive. And again, Mm -hmm. this is happening at a gas station Mm -hmm. and he's starting to bring in this highly flammable gas. And then at the end, when Billy is campaigning for sheriff and he is in uniform illegally campaigning um, whilst on the job, Mm. that's another thing that we saw throughout this past election cycle when our now sheriff, soon to be ex-sheriff, Alex Villanueva, Mm -hmm. um, did this multiple times um, throughout Mm -hmm. the election cycle. So as far as oh my God, and my favorite part in this movie, before Carl dies, he guilt trips everyone in the store mm-hmm. mm. and says, who was the one you came to when you had a problem? Um, Ostensibly, as a member of the sheriff's department, you know, it's your job to do something when, you know, a woman comes to you and says that she's a victim of domestic
4: violence. Right. But you're not a hero for doing not your hero. job.
2: <laughs> Correct. <laughs> well, that was like one of the things that pinged for me where I was like, is he implying that he did a good job in that situation because it's like the sheriff's department also has a horrible record with preventing domestic violence. It seems like they are causing it more often than they are preventing it Mm -hmm. right
0: and he implied that he really didn't do anything when he talks about the man that was hitting katie Mm -hmm. he says i ran him out of town which to me doesn't sound like oh i you know pursued a case got evidence and saw him prosecuted to the full extent of the law instead he behaved like a vigilante and ran this person out of town where he you know i'm assuming he's probably gone on to victimize
4: another woman in another city Right. (laughs) right Oh my gosh. So my question is while a lot of the behavior and actions of the deputies and sheriff tracks with real life sheriff department behavior how does the movie feel about these characters though because at certain points I'm like oh they're they're showing us like look how corrupt Carl is and isn't that horrible look how incompetent Bill is and isn't that embarrassing and shouldn't we have you know better people on the force but then the movie especially the way it ends it like does a lot to I think encourage the audience to empathize with especially Sheriff Bob and Deputy Bill yeah because it checks back in with them and it's like haha Mm -hmm. aren't these moments funny where Bob is getting hypnotherapy question mark to try to stop smoking Mm -hmm. and bill is like having a goofy moment with this woman who keeps having raccoons on her property i'm like how does the movie actually feel about law enforcement and is it coming from the right place that is something i was never clear on both times I watched this movie you watched this movie twice I did
2: (laughs) that is that is the appropriate response
4: (laughs) well in my defense I also only have four brain cells left and I have to watch a movie twice you can't catch all the gorgeous nuance of this film (laughs) on only one watch yeah you need to see it twice yeah I felt I had some similar
3: like
2: I mean this movie is so like it, this movie felt like it was written by so many people. Yeah, that from scene to scene it felt like its loyalties would shift, like in one way or another. Because even like the, because I I agree, series that like the guilt trip that Carl does at the end is like very in character of what a real life member of a sheriff's department might do. But then like the music that backs him, right, sort of makes it sound like oh reconsider think about that
0: yeah yeah this changes everything
2: when right no it's so (laughs) bizarre and but it's also like tim allen's character is like against the sheriff and is like almost the voice of reason in the scene which is like very but he's also
0: a vietnam veteran who like lovingly recalls like bombing the fuck out of a village that
2: i had to that is one scene that i did rewatch to be like did i did i get that right where the story he tells and please either of you correct me if i misunderstood this because i was just like this can't be it he's talking about he's he's very romantically recalling being in vietnam he's in some sort of leadership position He Mm -hmm. sees a village full of innocent families and says, let's not murder this village. Correct. But then the Vietnamese armed forces instead kill not just the village, but also a bunch of Tim Allen's buddies. And so Mm -hmm. Tim Allen is like, I really wish that I had just killed those innocent people. Like that, (laughs) what? I think.
0: So That's what I took from it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> just a baffling way to make us... I, and we're supposed to, like, really like him in that.
4: It's just so dissonant and bizarre. Right, because this is, like, the beginning of his redemption arc. And then he's like, well, I wasn't there for you as a daddy. Maybe if I had just killed all those innocent people, I would have been a good father to you. I, <laughs> I think is is this t- is the takeaway and then he's like well i threw my life away but i can still redeem myself if i go outside and take the fall for this hostage like situation himself pull yeah. out my guns for some reason and then get shot down and then as he's dying i didn't mention this in the recap but as he's lying there bleeding out he says something he's like looking up to heaven presumably and he's like well, I hope it's better up there in heaven. Like, what does he say? It's something like that. You're not going there, Tim. No, I'm kidding.
0: (laughs) You're going straight
4: to hell, bro.
2: (laughs) But then there's other moments. Oh, it's so hard. There's other moments where, at least in regards to how the other characters in the gas station view the sheriff's department, where I'm like, all right, they're nibbling at something there, where like, I feel like, very often in movies that feature cops, sheriffs, any sort of like violent law enforcement, it like underestimates the average person's ability to understand how obviously corrupt the authorities are. And it sort of is like everyone is just like completely loyal and they're like, it's a police officer, it's a sheriff. They would never hurt me. Mm -hmm. And the characters in this movie while terribly written, do seem to, like, constantly acknowledge how corrupt the sheriff's department is. Like, it seems like everybody is kind of aware of it to the point where even mm-hmm. Tim Allen, like, calls out the hypocrisy of the sheriff. And, like, right. True. I thought that was interesting where, like, Vincent D'Onofrio was saying, like, oh, Tim Allen, you're a drunk. And Tim Allen's like, well, I don't drink and drive or drink and arrest people like you do so Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. which is like yeah facts bro like (laughs) yeah he's kind of he kind of nailed it it was so
4: confusing i'm just an asshole when i'm drunk you (laughs) (laughs) i do like when tim allen i guess gets so drunk that he passes out for what seems to be a large portion of the hostage situation because he's just snoozing snoring on the ground that bud light lemon Bud Light Lemon. But should
2: write to sleep. The Bud Light Lemon, the Pabst Blue Ribbon, the Svedka vodka, the Pop-Tarts, oh the Cheetos. I mean Oh, there was also the romance scene near the Cheetos. I yes. really liked the Cheeto romance scene. You know what really gets me going is a nice hot Cheeto. Oh, a <laughs> perhaps even a flaming hot Cheeto. Um, can we I guess talk about the women
4: in the movie? <laughs>
2: yeah it'll be a short discussion (laughs) so we've got well this was another thing that was i think was a pretty baldly gross precedent that this movie seems to want to explore which is that um our main character oh god i've kept writing drano's girl kate 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 is a young single mom of What we learn in the scene where they're introduced, it seems of a boy with autism
4: mm-hmm. or
2: his doctor is suggesting, I think your son may be on the autism spectrum mm-hmm. and Kate immediately denies this does not want to listen Mm -hmm. and we're supposed to be firmly on her side about this
4: correct she is coming in with an extremely ableist stance because she seems to be horrified at the thought that Mm -hmm. her son would be on the autism spectrum because or
2: like neurodivergent in any way because she's basically like he is normal and it's like well what do you mean when you say that
4: kate Right. Well, the way the doctor describes autism spectrum disorders is extremely ableist, too. Because she says something like, you know, children can seem perfectly normal with only minor anomalies. Mm. And it's like, that is not how we talk about neurodivergence, doctor.
2: Also, what are you a doctor in? Like, it was also very (laughs) unclear what the appointment had been for. That scene was horribly done. And then I was like, God, I hope that, because it seemed like the reason this even came up is because her son, Seth, question mark, Seth. was nonverbal and, mm-hmm. and hadn't begun speaking. I don't know how old the character is. It doesn't matter. Five.
4: We learn he's five years old. He's
2: five. Okay. So he he's five and, and he's nonverbal. His mother is not willing to talk to a doctor about this, but the doctor's also horrible. The story plays Mm -hmm. out. They're held hostage for no reason. They could have left at any time. Mm -hmm. And then it's like implied by the movie that Drano becoming a father, quote unquote, cures yes seth's Seth. nonverbal, yeah. and then all of a sudden he's speaking in full sentences because drano is his daddy now it's just like fucking absurd and gross
4: that is the logic of the movie yeah. could i track it no but that is what the movie seems to be suggesting yeah really bizarre um and then we already talked about jessica alba's character's ableism yeah so that's yeah. horrendous
2: well and the fact that all three women who appear in the movie are just like defined by mommy yeah. like their mommy mommy the single mom she's mm-hmm. there to be mommy her mommy is also there to be mommy but but bad we'll mommy. Also get- oh my yeah, god horny mom the hor- <laughs> yeah can we talk about horny mom really quick
4: well there are three stage- mom, what a horny mom look there are three stages of momminess there is Currently, pregnant mommy. Yeah. There is young mommy who has a small child already. And then there's older, horny mom, mommy. And also, she's so. technically a
2: horny grandma as well. Another uh, beloved trope on the pectal cast.
4: Exactly. But,
2: and she's, she's so horny, she can't parent. Like, <laughs> that's how horny this woman is. She's like,
4: I have to go bowling with Dennis, the dental hygienist. And we're like, what?
2: Do you have a sexy bowling shirt? <laughs> she she <does. laughs> I will say of all the actors in the movie I feel like horny horny mom was did the most with the least no one is doing anything in this movie but horny mom she tried to make
4: the best of it did it work no but she tried she tried she did. Um, same with Vicente yeah given nothing Vicente justice for Vicente um I want to shout out a few of my favorite moments in the movie I mean speaking of kate and the lack of characterization she is given mm-hmm. one of the most absurd scenes to me in the movie was it's toward the beginning she's working at the liquor mart oh, behind God. the counter the only person working there she's behind the counter she's supposed to be like you know making sure things are running smoothly eric comes in that's about as much as the movie <laughs> knows about running a store too Right. <laughs> working
2: at store and, you know, et cetera, et cetera.
4: <laughs> yeah. Yada, yada, yada. Um, Eric comes in. Kate is behind the cash register, but she's turned away, facing like 180 degrees away from the entrance, the cash register, the counter. She's also hunched over a book and listening to music on headphones. So he has to be like, hey, excuse me. He's, he grabs her. This startles her. And she's very pissed off about it. But it's like, yes, he shouldn't have grabbed her, but you were doing your job so badly. Like you were turned away from everything you should have been turned toward and anyone could have come in and just like stolen everything. Like, Okay, Caitlin,
2: I will say, that's not the comment I was, because I have done (laughs) that job like that. (laughs) Have I absolutely worked at a desk not facing the people I was supposed to be serving, (laughs) um, actively blocking them out? Absolutely.
4: I understand the... I actually
2: support her doing her job that way. That being badly. She's studying microbiology. Yeah, that's... She's not like other girls. She's a woman in STEM. She Um, is literally a woman in STEM. Will that become relevant? No, she's a mother.
4: I I just was... I like that they just threw that out there for no reason. (laughs) I was just confounded that she was so mad that he startled her when she was doing her job not well anyway I guess I just
2: I hate Drano so Drano's (laughs) such a well yeah he's awful he's the worst also like I love when a whole movie could have been a text or something like that like he (laughs) he could have just like emailed Tim Allen and this whole movie would not have happened Mm -hmm. and it would have made more sense but whatever
3: yeah but
2: I kind of forgot that they told us that Kate is like going to school for anything because it's never relevant like her problems are no. she is i mean with a real problem like she's a single mom struggling to get by okay but that's the only thing that's ever really relevant is like that she has a young son that she struggles with caretaking for because she doesn't have a lot of money enter horny mom who's not helpful but it's all mm-hmm. mom problems it's and then and then on top of that they throw in and she loves drano <laughs>
4: She's got a little crush on Drano, but she's so... I guess my point is for this scene is that the writers, for some reason, wanted to establish conflict between Kate and Drano. But the way they do it just makes her seem... To me, just makes her seem very unreasonable and, like... Yes. Illogical, and I'm just like... What, yes. I, so that is what... The way that she's characterized in that moment is what bothered me. But, yeah, the movie... <laughs> My favorite
2: woman was the cardboard one.
0: <laughs> and everyone talked to her. It's true.
4: <laughs> Including, oh yeah, Vicente is like, don't worry, my dead wife. I'm not going to oh cheat God. on you with the past. cut cardboard cutout. Cutout, lady.
2: <laughs> She's kind of the hottest lady in town. Everyone's literally in love with her.
4: Oh, everyone loves her. I
2: oh god. That that scene, the way that they cuz that's the only characterization Vicente gets. Everyone gets like a sentence except for Drano and Tim Allen who get the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. But Vicente, I like it's the kind of scene where it's like, well, no one else is in here and we need to know that Vicente is mourning his wife so that the sheriff can guilt him about it later. Right. And that's the only thing we ever learned about Vicente other than he's a real sweetheart and Mm -hmm. gets Seth a toy. And also I wrote down at some point, I was like, hopefully Vicente is like keeping track of how much they are eating and drinking. Mm -hmm. The sheriff's department I'm glad he got $32 million in that clearly rewritten ending, but, um, (laughs) What about the $300 worth of Bud Light lime they drank in <laughs> the 1 hour they were in there,
4: right? Also there's that scene where Carl comes in and he like buys a bunch of stuff and then he just throws down maybe like 73 cents and he's like that's all I have.
0: Yes. He strong arm robs Vicente. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm.
4: Add that to the list of corrupt cop things that Carl does. One of my favorite scenes is when Tim Allen is also also I th- the way the movie Depicts alcoholism is questionable. Anyway, Crazy, yeah.
0: Vicente kind of sponsored it, no? Right. It was like, we're going to make a movie about alcoholism and just have a bunch and, of Spawn con, the... con for various alcohol
2: brands. <laughs> that's actually a great, that's a cause it, yeah. Both of the, like Vincent D'Onofrio and Tim Allen are both ruined <laughs> by alcohol, but they're also like, but they love this Bud Light <laughs> Lime. You want to ruin your life? <laughs> have you considered? Bud Light line. Bud Light. It's the same logic of the Drano spawn. Like, it doesn't make any sense.
4: Also, do you put Drano down your toilet when it's clogged? I've, I don't know if that's a no. thing. Anyway. Right? I didn't think so. It's for your sink. It's, it's for, for the sink, drain.
0: Right? It's
2: <laughs> Drano.
4: That's what I thought. Drano is worthless.
2: Yeah, I kind gotta... of... <laughs> i honestly i don't know why i assumed the movie was smarter than me in that moment where i was like well i guess you can use it
4: for that too interesting well speaking of uh repairing things kate can fix the cooler in the store but vicente can't so a woman can fix it a man can't and that's feminism anyway <laughs> this, <laughs> one of my favorite lines of dialogue or like exchanges of dialogue is when vicente is talking to tim Allen, and he says why don't you find yourself a nice lady you wouldn't need all this liquor. And Tim Allen says, this is how this works. I give you money. You give me booze. It's simple capitalism. <laughs> and we're like, "Woo! Yeah! incredible dialogue. <laughs> perfect. So good.
2: And then Vicente, keeping in being a sweetie pie, is like, all right, you can have a free six-pack. <laughs> For what? For what? You just yelled Why? at me. They're...
4: <laughs> so confusing.
2: Vicente, I mean, I think that, like, well, Vicente is the one of the only... Uh, this is like a majority white cast. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like telling how uh, non-white cast members are treated. We don't even know what Jimmy O. Yang's name is. Mm-mm. He certainly has no arc. Uh, Jessica Alba does have an arc, but it's completely defined by the fact that she's about to explode with Greg. Like, so really not much for her as well. But I think Vicente especially we should talk about, because he's the only, I mean, he is, I think that when, when Carl dies, it's meant to in the movie to be like and that is kind of his just desserts here he he deserves it
4: Mm -hmm.
2: why we kill Vicente but then bring him back to life I just did I did not like it I did not like that they brutally killed Vicente
4: could not make heads or tails of that I think another I mean another example of the movie actually depicting police behavior Mm. as being very realistic is when Carl says something very racist to yes to Vicente which is again like very par for the course for law enforcement overall but the fact that we know very little about Vicente he's pretty incidental to the story and then is brutally shot in that final shootout Mm. but then comes back to life and Mm -hmm. meets a sexy lady on the beach
2: love that for him
4: but I also feel like it's suggested that she only likes him after she learns that he's worth 32 million dollars yeah I'm not sure anyway justice for Vicente and
2: they make the joke about how many millions of dollars per times he was shot by a sheriff like
4: uh, it's bad (laughs) The uh, director of the movie, David E. Talbert is a black filmmaker, mm-hmm. which I was surprised to learn based on the way that characters of color yeah. are represented on screen.
0: No kidding. Wow. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Did not know that.
4: Yes. Look, so and I'll say it. I would recommend his other, his subsequent Christmas
2: movie, Jingle Jangle. <laughs> I thought it was a delight. <laughs> I still need to see it. It's good, but it's, it's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I it's I I I mean someone needs to be held accountable for this movie's <laughs> existence. I it's very unclear to me. Like I'm I, normally I'm very quick to to blame the director, but in in this case, he is very clearly already like there's some sort of situation where he has to direct one Netflix Christmas movie a year. Or they've got him
0: locked up at <laughs> Netflix, and they're saying, "Right, you gotta do this." Propaganda Christmas film.
2: So I'm curious that maybe how much he I'd be curious to know how much he wanted to direct this movie. Mm -hmm. And then it also seems like I mean Theodore Melfi, who is uh he's a white writer, even he had thoroughly backed off having written this because he wrote it ten years before it was ever produced. And then hopefully, like, read a fucking book at some point. And <laughs> it sounded like by the time the movie was made, even he, like, no longer stood by what he had written. It uh-huh. just seems like, was anyone involved in this project voluntarily? I don't know. I mean, I think he... Dak Shepard was. <laughs> I think, I think Dak Shepard, was. I mean, maybe, maybe the cast, I don't know, but it just was very I, I bizarre. Couldn't... It was also produced by Theodore Melfi's wife like it was a Mm -hmm. whole family affair making this bad movie interesting
4: I couldn't find any information about it because well obviously we I always begin my research on scholarly journal wikipedia of course. And this movie has one of the sparsest Wikipedia entries I've ever seen. Well,
2: because it's like no one did press around it. No one wanted to draw attention <laughs> to the fact wanted, that this was released. People wanted
0: to forget about it, but my Netflix algorithm wouldn't let it happen.
2: this <laughs> <laughs> <Sirisa's> Netflix algorithm <laughs> trounced this movie's determination to not exist. I mean, I guess it's like, I'm glad it's not popular.
4: Right. <laughs> Again, never heard of it till we recorded this episode. Um, series, I, I guess I was interested in your final
2: word on this in terms of like, as someone who I, I know has consumed a lot of propaganda, it's in your algorithm, you can't escape. <laughs> how does, for its five trillion faults, we just discussed, how does El Camino Christmas stack up against your average propaganda?
0: My average propaganda, or average Christmas propaganda, because there is that subgenre.
2: Is there... please unpack that.
0: Well, I mean, you got the classic. You got Die Hard. Yeah. You got Die Hard 2. Oh, of course. Mm-hmm. El Camino Christmas is another. There. I mean, there are a lot of like feel-good Christmas movies involving the police, which. Is a whole other conversation. Mm. I picked this one because it was recent. I incorrectly assume that it took place in Los Angeles. Um, but it seems <laughs> like, you know, I wasn't alone in that assumption and mm. the way it was. I'm
2: sure it was shot in Burbank.
0: <laughs> it probably was. Yeah. How does it stack up? Man, I gotta say, it's I like it because I don't like it. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> I appreciate that mm-hmm. there are moments. Where the police are portrayed in ways that are accurate to people that are interacting with the police and Mm -hmm. are representative of, you know, a lot of people's experiences. What I did not like is that it didn't go anywhere with that.
2: Right. Mm
0: -mm. And those instances, they attempted to laugh them off in a weird way. Right. Like the comment about the bullet i think there was also a remark made about eric being beaten up in custody Mm. which is just yeah why i don't (sighs) know what that is supposed to serve
4: right yeah
0: hey maybe there is a way to do comedy about the police where they are well actually i know there is i think like what a lot of things that are happening on reno 911 i think are really smart and mm. are mm. possibly a good way to
4: talk about the police in a comedic lens. I love that show, although I haven't seen it in a while, but I was a huge fan for a while.
0: <laughs> yeah, from what I, re- it's been a while too, but from what I mm-hmm. remember, what I did like about that show is like, yes, this is how the police behave. And like, this is funny. We can laugh at it, but there are a lot of like real things at play here. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. feel like this was like attempting to do something like that, but
2: whiffed incredibly (laughs) (laughs) truly. yeah I I will say I was I was nothing about this movie was a pleasant surprise necessarily Mm -mm. but I I was fully going into this with the I mean even Tim Allen's involvement I was just like well this is going to be explicitly pro-cop all the way down I was surprised that it even approached a criticism of the sheriff's office or, or the idea of a sheriff Again, it's like because the movie is so poorly written, it's really hard to know how we're supposed to be feeling. But it did feel like there were a few flavors of corrupt sheriff presented poorly, but presented. Right. where It's like Dak Shepard is like an incompetent. Carl is drinking and uh, inciting violence and making false arrests. And then the dad from that 70s show is the one who's like setting those precedents of like you're not arresting enough people Mm -hmm. and is, you know, and so it was like a lot of it seems like as far as I know from listening to and and interacting with your series, like classically sheriffy things to do. But yeah, but it like goes nowhere and we still are supposed to like them enough at the end that you want to see him go to a hypnotherapist and stop smoking. So not successful.
4: What I think it is, is what little criticism there is about a sheriff's department is mostly directed at Carl. Mm. And he does seem to be the most corrupt one. But he's the baddest apple. (laughs) Exactly. The message is like, well, there's one bad apple. So, you know, you can't let it spoil the bunch. (laughs) But 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 the movie is like, well, yeah, Dax Shepard's character is incompetent. But you see him improving. He's getting better at police work because he's like, yeah, I ran the license plates. And then then Sheriff Bob is like, wow, good job, buddy. Great. Cop work. That's
2: oh, like that's like cutting to the end of a movie about a chef, and then he's like, "Look, I turned the heat on," and they're like,
4: <laughs> "Yay, that's wow, awesome, job. Dax. Good job. You get to keep your job." It's a mess. Um, <laughs> but does the movie pass the Bechtel test? No, I actually it doesn't don't think it does. Those were the scenes I It does okay is it with horny mom there are a few scenes between kate and her mom whose first name we never know but i feel like she's a oh okay 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 so she they have several conversations about you know the mom going on a date with a man and oh mom i need you to watch my son but there is a brief exchange where her mom is like hey, you should ask for a raise. If you want something, you got to growl for it. And then Kate says, I'm waiting for the day you tell me I'm adopted. And then her mom says, you just keep on waiting.
0: Wow. Wait, but does that pass? Because she works for a man.
4: I mean, Mm -hmm. there is some subtext that you could argue. Maybe it doesn't. But he's not explicitly
2: I guess the spirit
4: of that, like...
2: I mean, look, the point is, and this is a fun place to, to just remind our listeners, as we have to every so often, although the, the film Twitter, um, Gestapo, will never will never listen to this part, but a movie passing the Bechtel test doesn't really mean that much. It,
4: <laughs> it's really not that important. Right. And a movie cannot pass the Bechtel test, and it doesn't make it bad, necessarily. It's just... It's just a, a just. basic metric to
2: get a discussion started. Of hey, if this is a whole movie and women never speak to each other, that feels weird. Like that's why <laughs> the comic was
4: written. Right.
2: But but that said, I take back everything I said. This is a feminist classic. <laughs> oh
4: my god. I agree
2: with the whole thing.
4: Kate fixes a cooler. Yeah. Anyway. And also,
2: I will say my my favorite part. It like knocked this this memory loose where when Drano like he tries to do like a little flirty gesture by paying for like their breakfast at the mm-hmm. local diner and it brought me back to this memory I have of being at an IHOP in Boston in like 2014 where I was eating dinner with my friend after work and someone a, an admirer I never learned who it was sent a oh. single over easy egg over to the table <gasps> And I think about it all the time. I was like, was that my husband and her wife? Like, who was that? Mm. Who did that? And why? A single
0: egg? That is some nutty shit, bro.
2: It was, but I I found it so... (laughs) The twisted part for me is I found it so romantic. I was like, really? Whoa. You? Yeah, are I some... thought it was kind of hot that someone did.
0: Oh, well, you are the hot dog girl. I don't know. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I feel like it's the horniest egg and over easy egg. I was like, wow, the egg that comes. Like, it's just, um, it really mm-hmm. made me think. Wow. And so when Drano did that, I
4: was like, damn, maybe it was Drano. Maybe no. it was Maybe Drano. Drano. Mm-hmm. Mr. Egg, if you're listening. Send another. Jamie loved it. If if you're listening, please do not contact me. <laughs> I... leave, leave us alone. Um, I don't want to hear from you. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, it's time for our nipple scale in which we yeah. rate the movie on a scale of zero to five nipples based on looking at the movie through an intersectional feminist lens. <laughs> I would give it a half nipple. Really? Or... That's
2: generous. That's nice. I know. <laughs>
4: for the as we've discussed not well executed attempts to provide some kind of meaningful critique on corruption and incompetence in a sheriff's department but it does try a little bit which was more than i was expecting but again it doesn't land the criticism is flimsy Everything else about the movie, various characters being extremely ableist, the way way people of color are characterized in the movie, the way the women are characterized in the movie. It's just all extremely lazy and horribly written. Again, one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Um, I'll take it down to a quarter nipple (laughs) because I just want to give something to Vicente, justice for Vicente, but that's it.
2: I guess like with that framing... Yeah, I guess
4: given the quality
2: and cast of this movie, I fully expected this movie to be thoroughly pro-sheriff. Right. And so introducing even the remotest criticism, I guess, exceeded my expectations. I do still feel like I have to give it no nipples, though, because it's so bad. Yeah. But I guess as an asterisk to that, I I think it, intentionally or not, did show, like you were saying, Cerise, showed some actual sheriff behavior, but didn't really go so far as to be actually critical of it in a way that Mm. was cogent. Um, So and as far as representing uh, any marginalized person, it was horrible. Mm. I guess if I had nipples, I would give it to the pop tarts. But (laughs) I don't have any to distribute. So it's going to be nothing for no one.
4: Hey listeners, so normally we would have our guest also give their rating right about now, but there were some technical issues and our guest's audio dropped out from this point on. Um, I think Cerise gave the movie somewhere between zero and one nipple, but more importantly, We want you to check out Cerise's podcast, A Tradition of Violence, that examines deputy gangs and their violence and corruption, all happening within the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. Um, So please check this podcast out. You can also read Cerise's series, A Tradition of Violence, published in Knock L.A. Cerise has done and continues to do an incredible job reporting on this topic. So please check out A Tradition of Violence. And then for us,
2: you can catch us in all kind of the normal places. Twitter for as long as it exists and Instagram at BechdelCast. Uh, we have some tour announcements that will be out by the time you hear this episode. So we'll probably record something separately for that. Ooh. You can get tickets to the shows. You can follow our Patreon, aka Matreon, five bucks a month, get to you two additional episodes a month and this month we are of course doing the lindsay lohan christmas movie Mm -hmm. which i have seen some of the green screening in and it is um i can't wait
4: i can't wait i cannot wait i think
2: she and the the lead actor are possibly filming from different states um (laughs) and certainly
4: nowhere near snow i can't wait i'm so excited so Scoot on over to the Matreon for that at patreon.com slash BechtelCast. You can also go to tpublic.com slash the BechtelCast for all of your merch needs. It's the holiday season. It's it's time for gift giving. etc. You don't know what to give your loved ones as a gift? What about a podcast they've never listened to? Could be interesting. <laughs> uh. Or if you're like, hey, loved one, you're not sure what to get me? well hint hint the Bechtel cast sells merch yeah you know just some ideas
2: we won't know if you don't so don't worry (laughs) about it don't don't lose any sleep over it
4: and here's me Caitlin again jumping in with just a reminder about those tour details we're doing shows in LA San Francisco Portland and Seattle in late January early February the ticket links, the exact dates and venues and movies and all of those details, that can all be found on our link tree, which is linktr.ee slash Bechtelcast. And you can check our Twitter and Instagram for those details as well. We hope to see you there. Thank you for listening and catch you next episode.
1: Get Vigoro potting soil, just eight ninety seven at the Home Depot. How doers get more done? Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh?
5: Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine
3: country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, I <laughs> ah,
4: love that. A
3: redwood forest would be cool.
4: I'm in.
1: Ah, ski slopes. Let's
3: do it. Um, tenor girl, go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait.